0: The creators and people that are in your audience, the one thing I tell them to just think about, try to imagine whether you should be thinking of copying as a bad thing. And that that's signified by whether you ever use the word steal. So like you can stop viewing people copying you as a bad thing. It's, it's a tribute, or it's going to be publicity, or maybe it's just free competition, but copying is not stealing and we need to have get over even our emotional hang up about that
1: think about how many things that you do on a daily basis would then fall under the classification of stealing think about what a criminal that classification would make you in your everyday life
0: you are now listening to the creative juice podcast brought to you by entrepreneur.io
1: What's up, Indies? Welcome back to the Creative Juice Podcast. I'm your host, Circa, and Corinne is not with me today, but probably for, for good measure, because um, I've gotten uh, really nerdy about this topic recently. I think uh, anyone who's listened to this podcast knows that about me, um, involving you know copyright law and how it's affected our industry, the music industry. And I'm very excited because today we have an absolutely fantastic guest and, and an expert on this subject, uh, Stefan Kinsella. Am I pronouncing that correctly? That's good. Awesome. so Stefan is a is a patent attorney and um, he's I, I first came into him just kind of searching around about you know copyright law and maybe some negative consequences of copyright law and I've pretty much binged on I think everything you got on YouTube sir I've, I've definitely gone in depth and listened to a lot of of uh, what you've had to say over the last you know month or two and and I'm super excited to have you on so thank you for joining Stefan I'm glad to be here oh yeah so um, I want to start off kind of quick and just kind of get right into the topic because it's, you know it takes a bit of explaining and it's not something that a lot of these indies are probably warm to. But um, we're going to be talking about intellectual property and kind of the, the, the fallout of copyright laws as it pertains to the music industry. Stefan's got a wealth of knowledge about this subject. So, Stefan, what does intellectual property mean and, and why was the term invented?
0: Well, so and I'm actually an intellectual property attorney myself, or a patent attorney. Uh, I've been doing this for like 25 years, um, but I've also been, you know, a, a libertarian interested in property rights and justice and legal matters for a long time too. So I, that's why I thought about these issues from a policy point of view. Um, and intellectual property is a is a term that we use to describe a class of legal rights that the government recognizes. Okay. Um, so it includes things that are not always exactly the same type of thing, but but they're classed together, and that, that would primarily be four types of rights. And that's patents and copyrights, which are the big two, and then trademark would be sort of the third biggest, and then trade secret. Um, and just to go quickly through them if you want, trade secret law is just a law that uh, – um, you don't really need the law to let you keep things secret, but what it does is it gives you some protection if you try to keep things secret and if one of your employees starts to leak your secret you can get an order from a court to prevent him from uh or prevent the person he told from from spreading it further um so that's that's a limited type of right that was used by uh apple when that the iphone 4 was lost on the bar stool years ago and they they busted into the house of the guy that found it with the help of the government um uh, police wow. agents or federal agents uh, using trade secrets, federal trade secrecy law. Uh, trademarks is is has to do with uh, uh, the rights in your brand name or or the the names of products. Um, so you can prevent other companies from knocking off your name. You know, only one company can call their acetaminophen tablets Tylenol, for example, because of the trademark system. Right. Uh, by the way, I'm against all these laws, even trademark trade secret, and I can explain why. But I think we're going to probably. Focus mostly on copyright. Uh, copyright has to do with the rights of an author to some original creative work, and that would include paintings and novels and uh, maps and well, parts of maps um, and, um, and and music too. Okay, and film, so and photographs. And then patents deal with the right of an inventor to basically have a monopoly to practice his invention, something that's that's a practical, useful method or or, or machine, like a device that, that does something useful in the world but that's somehow inventive as well. So those are the four types of intellectual property. Um, trademark was sort of its own thing. It evolved in the common law, and so did trade secret law. They were never called intellectual property. They were just called… It's akin to reputation rights if you think about trademark, uh, and reputation rights are protected by defamation law and libel law. So you could consider that to be a type of IP2, but most people don't. Uh, Patent and copyright law are the two big ones that do the most harm, I believe, and they are the ones that are totally creatures of statute. That is, they didn't evolve on the common law, and it's hard to imagine how they could. They both came about by statutes or legislation in the U.S., And that was rooted in the ancient practice and statutes uh, in England and and in Europe, uh, particularly the Statute of Monopolies in 1623 in England, which is where patents came from—the Statute of Mm. Monopolies—and then and the previous practice of the of the crown giving monopoly grants to some, you know, favored court cronies, like you're the only person who can sell playing cards, right? Or you're the
1: so and that's how a lot monopoly. of this stuff started, right? Like, Because I think people don't really realize like, that intellectual property is a granted monopoly, but that started back when, like, well, the king controls who gets to do what. So it's hard to imagine that kind of dynamic in a free society like we have now, or is, as free as it is, but that's how it, it kind of started, right?
0: Yeah, and that's what I'm going to get to because it's a little counterintuitive because we're so used to the... The idea of, of patent and copyright being part of the free market because it ha- has been part of the U.S. system for the since the, since the inception of the country, um, and also because it's called intellectual property. So it, it, they, these things were just called monopolies at first, um, right. uh, And then and then the copyright system arose because when the printing press came out, it made it more difficult for the the church and the government to control. You know which books could be published, so they had this monopolistic system called the Stationers Company, which is like a guild, which had right. the, the monopoly on making books. And then when their charter ran out, um, the Statute of Anne was passed in 1709, which started the sort of the beginnings of the modern copyright system. It it gave a copyright to the authors, but it quickly it quickly turned into a system where the publishers still had control because. You know, if you had a, a a book you wanted to publish, you still had to go to the, to the to the official printing press to get it printed. I mean, it wasn't you couldn't just laser print it off yourself.
1: And that's really important. Like, I don't want to breeze by that because I know you know a wealth about that. But like, the state was it the station company?
0: Uh stationer, I think it's called a stationers company.
1: Right. So the stationers company, right? This was like the the uh, the monarchy saying this one company gets to print books nobody else gets to have a printing press right
0: yeah so of course that that let the government and the church uh, censor what they didn't want published they could say you can't publish this book or you have to change this before we're going to let you publish it uh, and not right. only that the rights after the after the statute van, the, these copyrights that authors held you know it, it routinely became the practice for authors to turn the rights over to their employers or to the or to the publishing house uh the publishing companies which is which is the leg- we see the legacy of that today is changing a little bit because of the internet and amazon um and, and, and you know uh, but it's uh and iTunes and things like that but uh, until recently you know uh, I mean don't you remember when prince had slave put on on his face because he was trapped right. by one of these recording contracts and it's just the legacy of it that everyone says copyright and patent for the little guy but really uh, you know, ninety-nine percent of these things had been owned by massive corporations, uh, and the artists or the authors or the inventors who created it had to end up turning it over to them anyway. Um, right. There's actually a really good for anyone who's interested in this. There's a uh, there's a guy named Carl Fogel, who's on the board of my my little foundation, Center for the Study of Innovative Freedom. Uh, he's got an article, The Surprising History of Copyright. I've got a link to it on c4sif.org under the Such resources a great- page. Great article. It's a I great history of over. how, yeah, it's a great history of how copyright emerged, and uh, uh, it's surprising. But um, in the in the eighteen hundreds, after the U.S. started um, having, you know, was founded and had these copyright and patent laws, um, you know, people, the publishing <clears throat> industry and and other industries started becoming dependent right away on the fact that they could use these patents to stop competition. And they could use copyrights to stop people from copying their books and sell them at a higher price and all these right. things. And so at the same time, the free market economists started saying, what's going on you know, across America and Europe? Well, why do we have these monopoly grants that are kind of contrary to the free market? You know? And so there was sort of a growing skepticism and growing criticism. And so the defenders of patent and copyright, uh, in, as part of what they did to keep these laws in place… They started defending them by calling them intellectual property. They said it's not a monopoly privilege granted by the government; it's just a property right. right. And everyone's like, "Well, well, what do you mean it's a property right? A property right is like a car or a horse or a piece of land, uh, or maybe even your own body, but it's a it's a tangible corporeal thing."
1: And it's a scarce resource, right?
0: It's a scarce resource, basically, is what we call it in economics, right? Or a rivalrous resource. Um, and and so the defenders of patent and copyright says well it's it's a special type of property right it's a it's an intellectual property right because <laughs> you know they say it's a product of the mind they say things like oh just like you can create uh, a factory to make widgets you can also create something of value in you know with your mind that's that's more of an intangible thing informational thing you know like 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 a design or an invention or a process or uh, or a book or um, or a song right And so they and so they were actually using kind of the Lockean idea. You know, John Locke was one of the early uh, political philosophers that influenced uh, a lot of the American constitutional and property ideas. And you know, he has this argument for why people should own themselves and their lives and their and their stuff as opposed to the government. And his kind of argument was: Look, God gave the world to humanity. He gave every person their own body, and there's things out there that no one's using, and God wants us to use them and be able to use them. So the first guy that goes and gets it, he's, he owns his body, so he owns his labor, so he owns the thing he mixes his labor with. That's the sort of Lockean homesteading idea. And now that idea was sort of a metaphorical argument meant to explain why you know human beings and individuals have sovereignty over the government or why the government is there to serve people rather than… We're owned by right. the government. Okay. So it was kind of radical and good. But the argument was sloppy in a way in that it said this it had this step about you own your labor. Um, and that has led ever since then to unending confusion, I believe. And, and uh, but because you don't really own your labor, you own your body. Labor is just an action. You don't really own your actions. You You perform actions with your body. You don't really own those actions. They're just what you do. But saying that right. you own it made people think that there's something. … you own in addition to your body, and that's the labor you generate. Um, and actually that led, some people think, in part to the to the labor theory of value, which is at the root of communism, Right? the idea that right. uh, if, if you're a worker for a company, you're laboring, you're creating value, but you're not getting paid the full value of that because the employer is making a profit off of your labor, so they're exploiting you. And so that led to the explo- exploitation theory of communism. And there's a kind of a related fallacy, um, which we call the labor theory of property, which is that if you labor on something and you create something of value, then you own that thing. But that was never really the core of Locke's argument. The core of Locke's argument was that if there's an unowned scarce resource out there and someone starts using it, then they have a better claim to that resource than anyone else because they came first. Yeah, they labored right. on it, but they don't own it because they own their labor. They own it because they came first. Um, so in any case, the, the the campaign worked to start calling these things intellectual property or IP law. And nowadays, it's become so entrenched that everyone thinks of these things as a natural part of capitalism or the West instead of a derogation and from from this and an intrusion into the free market and to free freedom in life. So… It's not surprising that what you see now is that the way patent law works and the way copyright law works is sort of um, a legacy of or an echo of what their original purpose was. So patent law, the purpose was to reduce competition basically by giving someone a monopoly in the, in the original uh, usage of these letters patent that the king would grant. And now we see the right. same thing happening. Some company will have uh, – like like in the smartphone industry, you have these two or three or four big Smartphone makers, and each of them has thousands of patents, and they use them to sue each other, and they cross settle, and then they settle, uh, they settle, and they cross license to each other, and then they back down. Prices are raised for the consumers to pay for all the legal bills, and the royalties. But uh, but small guys on the outside, an independent smartphone maker, let's say, couldn't could never emerge right now because they would just be killed by the barrage of patent lawsuits from the big three or four, um, and So it basically creates these walled gardens around industries and creates like an oligopoly or even a monopoly in some cases. Um, So it it reduces competition and creates basically monopolies, um, which is what their original purpose was. And the copyright, the purpose again was to control thought and to censor thought, and that's what copyright does now. I mean I think YouTube processes like a million takedown notices a day. This is just YouTube um, generated usually by robots of these big companies… Sometimes they're so stupid they take their own stuff down. Uh, and <laughs> so that's and so basically, when people are making documentaries or making music, uh, I mean, you you probably there, there's notorious cases. There there was that case where Robin Thicke, um, right. you know, the song with Pharrell and Robin Thicke, when they were basically sued uh, and they lost. Uh, they were claimed to quote unquote stole uh, the early and they song showed baria. in
1: court. They broke it down, the music theory behind it. They broke down the rhythm, the chord change, everything. And they were like, this is not the same song. And they still lost. (laughs) Yeah, because
0: copyright is broad and it covers what they call derivative works. So you you only have the the spirit of
1: the work, right?
0: If it basically, yeah, uh, something else was derived from it, they say. But all these standards are totally uh, arbitrary and non-objective. They're not scientific at all. So it's it, it becomes sort of a judgment call of the jury or the judge at some right. point.
1: But the whole point it's is – It's a moving target. It, it,
0: but it, but the problem is not that. The problem is that that's what the debate is. It's the, it's the problem is, right. is your song too close to another song? Or, or, or even did you copy it? Like if you copied it literally, step for step, the right. presumption is that that's wrong. No, that's clearly wrong. So if you get too close to that, that's what you did that was really – that was wrong. But – we, you know, the presumption that copying is wrong is one that I think we need to, to rethink because that's, that I think it takes the copyright law itself.
1: Yeah. There's, I mean, there's so much in that I've already written down a bunch of different avenues. We can take that down, but I think that's the thing is like, it's a bit of hubris to us to presume that you're not copying just because it seems novel to you. Like Correct. everything is copying, right?
0: Well, in, in the in the field of invention and what patents cover, uh, I really think there's basically never a case of a true invention in the sense of someone just coming out of nowhere. Uh, everything's right. incremental in science. Everything is in technologies. Everything builds upon iterative. W- yeah,
2: yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, usually, things are invented when their time has come, meaning the background other ideas that enable it are, are starting to become widely known, and then someone's going to inevitably go to the next step. In fact, usually when there's big inventions, uh, there's multiple people working on the same thing or almost the same thing at the same time, and just whoever gets to the patent office first
1: gets the claim credit. The light bulb, the telephone, it seemed to have been invented simultaneously around the world in three different places, right?
0: Yeah, and and, and then in the the case of copyright, of course, uh, uh, a lot of artists get upset by my ideas when I basically say I think we should abolish copyright law and they instantly jump right. to the well you don't respect what I do you don't respect the creative process you don't think creation matters you, you know you think it's okay to, to praise a capitalist for inventing an, an iPhone or a watch or a car something tangible or growing fruit or something but but you don't respect the fact that we're making something valuable for the human race too you don't want to give us protection so they get this this sort of uh, it's emotional in a way they get hurt, you know, they, or, or they think that, that, you know, like someone like me, but I don't appreciate the role of the mind. I I'm, I'm only materialistic and I only care about material things Uh, or, you know, I only like the engineers or STEM majors, but not, not the English majors and the, and the artists, but that's not really an argument. You know, it's, it's just an emotional response, but what these people don't realize is that they are harmed by these laws some of them are helpful. Yeah. Some of them are harmed. I, I admit that. You know.
1: Um, well, I think it, the, the ecosystem is harmed, right? Like, I, I, I that hopefully with this podcast I can help introduce these ideas in a way where people don't get that impression from you. But I, you can correct me if I'm wrong. But I assume that what you believe is that if these industries were operating under free market principles, that everyone would be better off for it, including the artists economically.
0: There's probably a few people that have made. Um, uh, 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 you know, way higher profits than they could have without the system. But that's true of any law that, that, that is, is a, that favors some companies In the terms of patents probably were all worse off because it slowed down human innovation and, and made us all poor right. over time. Um, yes given. Well, I think market monopoly- innovations,
1: I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I like, no. I, I think that's true of music too. You know, like, uh, if we had, if we had the pressure of having to monetize artwork, for hundreds of years, without this protection, I'm, I assume we would have innovated the sales chain of this thing as well, how we monetize. Whereas we're now relying on this like broken system.
0: Yeah, and that's uh, and because your show focused on entrepreneurship, that's what's one thing I was going to get to was that um, you know those of us who are in favor of basically modern liberalism, not in the American sense, but in classical liberalism, or basically a free a free a free society which I would call libertarian in the extreme, but a free market, but where we have civil liberties right. and we have, you know, uh, sort of a cosmopolitan society where people, uh, we a flourishing market for art and expression and there's tolerance of different types of people and there's diversity, you know, the kind of this nice rosy view that we all would like to have, of, which we kind of do have of the West, like Canada, the U S Western Europe, you know, these kind of countries compared to the other models in the world. Um, right. You know, the, the, uh, uh, the The idea is that on a free market, you have co- you do have competition, but competition means someone is trying to make it in life. They're trying to have a successful project. They're trying to make a profit. They're trying to do something in their life that is successful, and usually that means doing something that's profitable. Right? Uh, I'm an engineer. I'm a I'm a doctor. I'm a truck driver. Right. Whatever. Uh, or maybe I start a store and I sell bananas or I raise oranges or you know, chickens, or or, or I make, or I make iPhones. But the thing is, these are entrepreneurial activities, and the entrepreneur always has to assume <clears throat> that if I come up with a good idea, if I come up with something that's successful, then other people are going to compete with me, right? I mean, McDonald's is not the only fast food hamburger joint in the country. Now there's many others because they saw that this is, a, or or Domino's delivery. You know, people, oh, pizza delivery is a good model. So they're not going to enjoy their monopoly position for very long. People will compete, and you have to build that into your model. As an entrepreneur, you have to say, all right, people will start competing with me. How am I going to keep making a profit after competition starts mounting? So you have to think of ways to do it. I'm going to keep innovating, or I'm going to use my brand name, or have customer loyalty programs, whatever. These are all innovative tactics people uh, have to engage in. Now, But the same thing is true of artists. I mean I'm uh, a novelist or –… a poet you know, or an inventor right. of, a, of a new widget, they have to realize that or, – or let's say the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, we're going to invest lots of money in a new, in a new drug, and, and we know that because it's just a compound, it may be expensive to figure out how to make it. But once you figure it out, as soon as other people find out, they can pretty easily start copying my drug and compete with me, and it's going to make it hard for me to make a profit… And to recoup my R&D costs, you know, that's the classical argument that we need patents in the pharmaceutical industry. But the, fundamentally, it's no different than any other entrepreneurial activity in, 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 the, in, the, in, the, in society because you always face competition and you always have to take that into account when coming up with your business model. So, of course, the right. entire music industry and film industry and photography and painting and, you know. Uh, book publishing, it would it would be different if, if the copyright system had not distorted it the way it is now. It certainly would be different. I mean documentaries wouldn't be they wouldn't be afraid to <laughs> include footage that they needed to to tell the story like they are now. They have to tiptoe around things. Right. You know, someone writing a song but if they I think... wanted to you know, sample someone else's song, they would just sample it. They wouldn't be afraid of a copyright suit. So who knows what people would right. do in the absence of uh, copyright.
1: I think you mentioned customer loyalty. I think I I do want to go back to kind of the opening statement and and peel back some of the layers there. But as as a final aside to that, it's like um, you had mentioned customer loyalty. I think that's huge because our industry is very unaware of who their customer is. They don't have the data. They don't offer them things year over year, like m- music uh, labels don't keep track of their customers. They're not data focused and it's because they can be laissez-faire about the sales channel because they have a government mandate on how do they make money. So I think that that's one of the consequences is that like you atrophy from true entrepreneurship under this kind of unnatural yeah. system, I'd say.
0: Yeah, you can you can rest on your laurels because you basically have a, a monopoly privilege, and and just and uh, I mean you you see this right now in the emerge this emerging thing where there's there's all these YouTubers, and um, they they do podcasts or they do uh, prank videos or whatever they're doing, and they are hustlers because they are always trying to know who their audience is. They're trying to give them little right. freebies, and um, they are really customer focused, right? Because uh, they know they have to every day keep persuading people to support them and. Um yeah so i, I think that uh, um the removal of copyright it would not be a threat to 99% of artists they would be liberated uh and uh especially with the with the technology we have now to enable so much more independent you know small budget work
1: Yeah. Well, I I do want to go back to, cause like there was some really interesting stuff at the beginning that I don't want to skip over. And I kind of want to peel back the layers of this because it's very hard living in today's society to contextualize how this started. But it's important, I think, for people to realize copyright did start as censorship. So you had the printing press gets invented. That means that the written word can be copied and distributed worldwide, very fast, much faster than ever before. And the, the, what is it? The monarchy of, of Britain? was the one to create the stationers company
0: yeah that, that was the, that was English uh, that was the right. English in uh, English I think similar things were happening in other parts of Europe but that's like the classic example especially because it affected the US system which is so dominant right. now um, so uh, they, in, they uh, create this the world.
1: They create this company and they say, you have the the one – or you have the one license on having a printing press. So it was very – it's actually illegal to own a printing press if you weren't the stationer's company at that time, right?
0: I don't know the details, but I think it worked out to be something like that, right? I, I mean I don't even think people right. could afford their own printing presses really, but basically you had to right, get – Right, right, right. Even Galileo was jailed for – you know, uh, uh, publishing wow. stuff that yeah. the government and the church didn't want him to say. You know, it's just the idea that right. uh, you know that they they were not going to let you publish something that 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 they didn't approve of. So there was heavy censorship uh, in the name of the proto copyright system. I would say,
1: right. So this was before copyright, and basically the Stationers Company was the first monopoly to enjoy the benefit of government mandate, government monopoly from, from written works and creative works. So that was the, the precept to intellectual property. I love in that article. And I believe another video I saw with you where it was talking about before that, where it was like, yeah, well, like Mozart, right? Like, you know, um, or, you know, one of these classical composers, they, they would be very careful about who they showed their compositions to until the night of, because they knew it would be in theaters everywhere as soon as they performed it. And that didn't stop them from being very well off as artists, right? Like that, there was a model before intellectual property, where artists, art, I mean, art flourished under patronage, under you know, uh, live performance, going town to town. That was very much the model beforehand, as far as I understand. Do you know anything about that?
0: No, exactly. I, I well, of course, uh, people weren't as wealthy back then, and things were things were different. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was as much of an industry, but of course, patronage was a huge part of it. Uh, and we see that now with Patreon. <laughs> so you see the model right. uh, reforming for the modern age. Uh, so, uh, yeah, of course, live performances, uh, which you see you see now. You see a shift in the music industry uh, of uh, instead of making money off CD sales, you the CD is, is like the advertising for you, and you you make money by performing. And the thing is, if you point right. out to someone, anyone who's entrenched in this industry, and they're used to copyright, and, and they're hostile to the idea of getting rid of it, um, They'll, they'll just demand, well, how am I supposed to make money um, without copyright, uh, as if copyright made money for a lot of independent artists anyway. You know, I, in, in the past, lots of people write for free or publish for free or make music for free, they, or they don't get paid very much. But, um, and if, so if you give them an example, like you say, well, if you're, if you're a musician, you can, you can uh, sell tickets to a concert. So you answer right. their question. or if you say, or if you're a novelist like J.K. Rowling, you could sell your first book on Amazon for 99 cents each and build up a massive audience and and then you could announce to the, to your millions of fans that I have book number two ready. and as soon as I get you know uh, a million pre-orders, I'll release it. I mean, or maybe right. you're paid a consulting fee to be the consultant on the official movie version of Harry Potter while there's two or three knockoffs being made because you couldn't stop them.
1: But also your, your works may have the potential to become much, much more famous without these restrictions, right? Like, you know, it, like I think like the worry about how it's going to monetize often prevents people from ever even trying to get it out there in the first place.
0: Yeah, and I think most most artists now detect that. They want their works. They want their copy. I think uh, there's a tech libertarian named Corey Doctorow. And he's a science fiction Novelist, and he, he's he's uh, a copyright skeptic. He's not totally an abolitionist like me, but he's a skeptic. And he said something like, uh, you know, for, for like a new artist, a new novelist, a new artist, um, the danger is not that people are copying your stuff. The danger is obscurity, right? <laughs> I mean, we have so right. much creativity now that you're going to be lost in the sea of everything. You want people to copy your stuff, you know? Um, right. So, so yeah. So, I, but the point is. I, that if you point out to people that are hostile to the notion of changing anything um, and you so you give them the example of how Rowling can make money as a novelist or you give them the example of how a musician can make money by touring th- then they'll just come up with something else they'll say well what about a poet i mean like so the questions are sort of concrete ground bound and 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 ad hoc they're not principled and they're never ending like you right. can never satisfy every question so in a way it becomes almost like the arguments that people use when they – like sort of left-leaning Democrat socialist types when they argue for government welfare programs. And if a conservative or a libertarian says, well, we we think we should abolish that, and and then they say, well, then what's going to happen to the poor? And you say, well, there would be private charity, and they say, well, can you guarantee there would be charity? (laughs) See, so they want to guarantee what they think welfare is.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I was raised in Massachusetts, right? So I'm, like, I'm by blood a pinko, like, liberal type, right? But, uh, but like, uh, what I've realized growing up a little more, becoming more of an adult, is that, like, these arguments get conflated for, like, um, for just, like, being a bad guy or something, where it's, like, no, I think what I've learned is that, like, people who are more prone to, like, free market, you know, economics, libertarians, like, they, it's not that they don't want poor people to be okay. it's that they don't think welfare is going to help them be okay, right like they think the net negative is like a net negative and I think that's an important distinction to draw because it's like no, it's not that we don't want creatives to you know to have uh, to, to be able to profit and have that as a job and uh, you know be good at it. It's that we don't think that the current system is potentially you know, is helping them do that. At least, like, you know, that, that's what I've come to understand from the argument after reading a lot and, and listening to a lot of what you have to say.
0: Yeah, and I think, so, like, when you when you have this consequentialist or this empirical uh, view, which most people do, they want to know about, uh, they you know, so they buy into the argument, we need patent law and copyright law to incentivize uh, innovation and creativity. So they're basically saying that we have more of this stuff because of patent and copyright than we would and that we wouldn't have enough without these types of laws. We would have an underproduction of these goods. And that we're better off because the government comes in, adds this little this little monopolistic privilege to these industries, right? To artistic creation and to the technical innovation. It's sort of like right. putting salt on your potatoes, you know, makes them taste a little better. They think that the government comes in in its wisdom and adds a monopoly privilege, which is contrary to free market principles, and it somehow makes everyone richer because you're solving this, this kind of market failure that otherwise would be there, right? Um, but you would think that if that's their argument, that we, we would have some kind of hard data to prove some of this stuff. And in the patent right. field, from everything we can see, in uh, common sense and reasoning, we'll tell you this too, but from just data that studies this, it looks like patents slow down innovation and make us, make us poor. It just slows down the overall rate of innovation in the world. Yeah.
1: That, that's no more clear to me than something I've said for a while, long before I even started paying attention to this copyright debate was that, isn't it weird that like our most visible industry, the entertainment industry doesn't even come close to like competing in terms of annual revenue with most of our other industries. <laughs> like it's so well, little it has, money is made.
0: Yeah. And a good example, I think is the fashion industry. The fashion industry is notoriously free of intellectual property. So people can yes. knock off designs because clothes are not really subject to copyright. They're not really subject to patent usually. So there's basically a free market in fashion. And I think it's way, it's, it's huge. The value of the fashion industry is incredible and there's tons of innovation in it, even though, uh, the, the, it the, eclipses the, big, the, big the
1: music industry. industry in annual revenue; I think, I, like I absolutely so. and, eclipses and, it. And and
0: the big designers can be knocked off all the time, and they are. And they, in fact, they they've lobbied over the last ten, fifteen years. They, they they're trying to extend copyright to fashion, but of course that would that would be horrible. We don't need it, and it would be it would be a bad thing. But um, well, it's also it,
1: it, the great argument was posed. What was the TED talk that you showed me with was um, the woman Blake, from the,
0: Johanna Blakely? Johanna Blakely is a a fashion expert and she's had some really good arguments about why you don't need IP in the fashion industry and why it works just fine without it.
1: But that it serves different markets, you know, like the the designers, they make clothes for a certain type of person. The other type of person that buys the knockoff, they're not going to buy the designer stuff, right?
0: Well, not only that, I think there's sort of a subtle argument that, that the fact of copying helps the big label designers because um, there's always churn. So in other words, uh, uh if there's a new style that's introduced by uh you know Chanel or Christian Dior or whatever uh this year it's going to be it's going to be in, in in Walmart in a year and so the people that buy these high high dollar things they don't next year they're not going to want last year's thing because everyone's buying it at Walmart they're they're, they're going to want the latest fashion so there's always a new hungry market for the latest thing, and and so it doesn't hurt them at all. It helps them because it gives them, uh, uh it gives them a, an excuse to sell the newest thing, right? So, so uh, your five thousand dollar dress that you bought three years ago, you can't just use that for ten years usually <laughs> because it's out of style after a while. So you have to buy a new right. ones. So it helps the fashion industry. But I'm just gonna say the way to look at this is that the patent system makes the world more poor. I think it literally does. I mean, we might have flying cars by now. We might have been on Mars by now. We might be living to a thousand years old by now. It's the death and destruction caused by the patent system, in my opinion, is 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 unmeasurable. But it's basically in human prosperity and wealth terms. The copyright system, um, is in a way is more dangerous, even though I don't think it does as much much, much damage to us product in terms of of, of wealth. But it has heavily distorted the culture, and it also uh, causes censorship, which is a loss of one of our civil liberties, right? The, the right to free speech and well, free expression.
1: I would just like to add something to your arsenal there is that, like, well, there's only three companies that have power in the music industry, right? The Only three, and that's clearly a consolidation of power. And then – there is only out of all the creatives who are valid, like they're not like awful, right? They're not like just starting out. They make great music. Only a very, very slim, slim margin ever get to the economic vehicle of it all, which is working with one of those three companies. And in the negotiation room with those three companies, they, they have the power of the entire history of recorded music under their ownership or some kind of, you know, arrangement they have. So if there are, you know, they're negotiating with say a streaming company they come to the table with Bruce Springsteen and the Beatles and all, all this stuff you know well and,
0: and if you, if you, and so the the typical you know uh, democrat socialist american now you know th- they're hostile to corporations and big companies and so so they favor things like the federal government reigning in these companies with antitrust law and things like this but the pro- the thing is these companies … quite often have power that they wouldn't have if not for the government grant of monopoly privilege in the first place, like with the patent system and with the copyright system. So the government causes the problem, and then people get, get deluded or, 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 or um, you know, they get fooled by the government's propaganda that we need to step in and fix this problem. It's almost like inflation. Like the government says we're fighting inflation, and everyone's like, yeah, the government needs to crack right. down and fight inflation. But, well, but the government's causing inflation by having a printing press, right. the central bank that that inflates the money supply. That's where inflation comes from. It comes from the government printing too much money. So the government—it's it, not like it's external threat that they're helping to defend us from. They—they they are the threat. And the same thing is true with the way <laughs> culture is distorted. And I, but I would say that the key thing in our modern age, I personally believe that uh, the internet is one of the most important inventions of all human history, and right. it's. Potentially, our salvation from tyranny, right? Because we can communicate, we can be aware of what the government's doing, um, and and anything that threatens internet freedom and the internet itself, I think, is a big, big, big problem for civil libertarians. And of course, copyright does that because websites are shut down all the time, uh, speech is taken right. down all the time in the name of copyright. The government is always threatening to reduce internet freedom in the name of stopping piracy. So copyright is being used as a, an excuse by the state to limit our freedom on the Internet, and that's very, very dangerous, and artists who are in favor of copyright should should really think think hard about that.
1: I think there's another thing here where like um, like what I've learned about the libertarian argument, and it's one I admire greatly is like um, is that certain things seem like they might be helping but they're actually hurting, right? The law of unintended consequences, like, you know, the motives behind it are one thing, but the actual effect of it is the opposite. And I think that's what we've been talking about this whole time. But, uh, you know, hearing Milton Friedman say things that like, you know, with, in regards to like tariffs and immigration and saying like, look, these things, these activities aren't profitable. So it's like, you know, you might think that you need to step in and like, you know, control it all, but at the end of the day the free market would like very quickly find out that these the companies would fail if they acted in these sort of anti-competitive ways like he draws the argument that like you know um, that closed borders aren't necessarily profitable the tariffs p- putting tariffs on other you know countries goods ends up you know making your country poor um and I, well, I think it's like such an interesting thing you know like to to draw because it it really shows you how you could go with, like, you know, like there's always a second layer to ideas that people don't often consider.
0: Yeah. And, and one of the famous uh, classical liberal thinkers, Frederick Bastiat, a, a Frenchman, I think in the 1850s, you know, he had this great, this great metaphor, which Henry Hazlitt expounded on in his great book, uh, Economics in One Lesson. But Bastiat he talked about the seen and the unseen. And he, he talked about, so we see, like, if the government nice. builds a bridge, we see the bridge they built but we don't see what projects now can't be built because money was taxed away from people that they could have used for some other project right so um right. so his point was that economic analysis like the art of it is to keep in mind the long term and overall consequences of of a policy you can't just look at like the part that's flashy and visible you have to look at the at the downsides too and of course that's the art of economics is, is you know taking costs and benefits um uh, into account, um, but you know, uh, I was going to say a good example of sort of this this myopia that we have is like the the, the the case of pharmaceutical and drugs and patents. And people always say you have to have patents because it's so expensive to develop a new drug that you can't recoup the cost easily if people can just come in and copy your drug um, easily right away. Which, by the way, is factually mistaken because. Uh, Switzerland and like Italy for for like fifty years didn't have patents on these things, and they were like leaders in this area. Um, and you you can even see now Tylenol sells for five bucks a bottle on the shelf right next to generic acetaminophen for two dollars, and people still buy it. So it's just not right. true. But but the point is, the people that say so it's so expensive to develop a drug that you have to have a patent to give someone a monopoly let them charge a monopoly price for a little while to recoup their costs. But they don't stop and ask, well, why does it cost so much to develop a drug? And that's because of the FDA, the, another government program, the, the Food and Drug Administration. Right. The, the, the system that they, they impose on the pharmaceutical industry makes it so expensive to develop drugs that, that now we have calls for – so it's, it's so convoluted. The federal government comes in. and they regulate the making of drugs, which makes it more expensive. So then people say it's so expensive you can't make a profit doing this, so the government has to give you a monopoly privilege called a patent to help you uh, overcome the the, the damage done to you by the regulation. And 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 then people say, well, now you're abusing your monopoly position that the government gave you with the patent system, and so now we need to use government antitrust law to investigate whether you're abusing it. So it's like one government right. law. At least,
1: when does it end? When do you go back a step and say, "Well, maybe we shouldn't have more of it. We should have less."
0: <laughs> and this is what, what what the great Austrian economist um, Ludwig, von, Ludwig von Mises said. He said he said controls breed controls, and you right. know we see this in the pa- in the, in the tax system. The tax system, everyone c- criticizes it for being complicated. The reason it's complicated is a tax is passed, people find ways around it. So they amend the tax law to catch those people that found a way around it. Uh, And then people find a way around that. And so it just keeps – so it's a game of cat and mouse, right? People are always trying to take advantage of the little loopholes that are in there, and then the government tries to close the loopholes. So it gets more and more complex.
1: It's a never-ending kind of chase. Yeah, I I love the –
0: Let me just say, if the income tax was 1%, people would just pay it. They wouldn't – It wouldn't even be worth keeping your receipts and trying to take advantage of loopholes if it's 1%. So the problem is that taxes are high. It's not that there's loopholes. If you have a high tax system, people are going to squirm around and try to get out of it. And the same thing with the copyright system, right? The copyright term lasts over a century now. That's another reason the copyright system is worse than the patent system. Patents at least expire in about 17 years. Copyrights can last for over a century.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That is a very important point, and I kind of want to talk about that in the context because you said um, the seen and the unseen. And the last time I heard that was I was watching not, – not that he's the end-all, be-all. I don't think he – like most libertarians would say he's a soft libertarian, but Milton Friedman uh, talking mm-hmm. about um, – he said the seen and the unseen, he talks about, look, if a beet sugar farmer gets a, a subsidy to grow their, their beets, right, that, like it's worth everything to them. To you, the consumer, it's maybe an extra cent on your sugar, right? So are, are, like you got to look at, are you going to go down and lobby for that extra cent on your sugar? No, but the beet sugar farmers are definitely going to do that. So it's the same thing with copyright law. It's like, are you going to go down there and lobby for these like controls that you don't even really understand? Or are the publishers more incentivized and more well-funded to go and do that and record labels as well?
0: No, and that's – and public choice economics too, like James Buchanan these guys, this is the kind of logic they use to point out you know, the, the cost of a given program are often diffuse and spread out. So no one has a big incentive to fight it, but the special right. interests that, that benefit from it, of course, fight it, which is why we have, for example um, – uh, you mentioned how American culture is sort of dominant around the globe, um, and it is partly because… Just because of America's dominance um, on the world scene since since World War One or two, um, and you know the advent of of, of, of movies and music, um, uh, but this what this means is that uh, uh, the, the 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 music industry, the film industry, uh, in America, are extreme uh, lobbyists to to not only keep ratcheting up um, copyright protection in in the U.S. And increasing the penalties where now it's a jail. It, it's it, it's a criminal. You can go to – you can actually go to prison for uploading a movie. I and mean, there's, there's people in prison now. There's a guy that went to prison for uploading Jesus. the Wolverine movie a few years ago. I mean things like this. I mean Aaron Schwartz, the guy that uh, helped invent, in, I think, RSS or something. You remember the young kid? He was, he, he was facing 15, 30 years in prison for uploading a bunch of academic papers to the internet, and he committed suicide. I mean so – you, you do have a, the criminal ratcheting up of these things, and in the beginning of the country, the copyright term was 14 years, um, and it could be right. doubled to 28. If you applied for it, you had to register it actively. You had to put a copyright notice, and it didn't even cover things like uh, – I think it didn't even cover um, uh, ma- uh, like paintings and things like that because the Constitution talks about writings. It's pretty clear.
1: Right. Well, another thing about paintings is that like they hold the original value, right? Like with paintings, like buying a, a reprint is not as valuable as buying the original. So it's a, it's kind of a little bit of a different setup where like, yeah, they, well, they still respect like uh more free, I guess, free market economy in that kind of realm. Um, at least well, more than if, music um,
0: does. I don't know if you've noticed this yourself personally, or this is just anecdotal on my part, but I, it seems to me that like, say 15 years ago, 20 years ago, if you go to a concert, there's all these prohibitions on taking pictures and recording. Um, right. Because they're like hyper worried about copyright infringement or having bootleg recordings. <laughs> But now yeah. now when you go to a concert, they they just don't – they give it up. They don't really care. I mean they know everyone's got their iPhones right. and they can record.
1: Well, it's because they got a taste of the benefits of acting as if they were in a free market economy, I think.
0: <laughs> that's, what, that's, that's what I think. I think they realize they can't stop it. They also realize it's not a substitute for the original thing. Having a guy hold his iPhone up in the middle of a, yeah. you know, a, sting, a sting concert is not going to hurt. His future tours, it might only help it. So they've just kind of given up. And if you go to an art gallery now, some art galleries they say you can't take photographs of these seven hundred year old paintings, and some of them say do whatever you want, just don't use a flash. So you see, I think a slight shift. People are getting a little bit less uptight about people copying things, you know. So maybe yeah. the attitude's changing, you know.
1: Yeah, well, it's important to notice that it did start off as 14 years because isn't there a disparity now where it's like, look, if you want to know where the incentives lie, look at how long you get a copyright if you're a person versus if you're a company, right?
0: Well, okay, so, uh, yeah, so I was uh, – actually, I don't think that's a big issue. Uh, the, the, okay. Uh, there's something called a, wor- uh, a work for hire. So th- there are two – there are two. There's there's a. If you own a, the normally the owner of a copyright is the author, which is usually a human being, a person. Um, if someone hires you to do something, you can assign that by contract, so you can transfer your rights over to them. But in those cases, the copyright term is basically life of the author plus a certain number of years, like 70 years. That's why I say it's over 100 years in most cases. Um, if you are an employee of a company. And you're doing what's called a work for hire, like you're, you're basically hired to pr- produce this kind of content, and, and, and you have a written contract covering all this. Then under the copyright law, there's a quirk that says the author is the corporation. So like the, the actual author is the corporation, and so you can't say the term would be the life of the author plus 70 years because corporations don't die. So they just put okay. in a fixed number like 95 years or 120 years, so they put a fixed number in. Like as an estimate of the average or something like that, gotcha. um, but 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 the big problem is that so this ter- there's been several changes in copyright law at the behest of the uh, basically Disney. Okay, you can think of Disney as the bad guy here, because every time Mickey Mouse's copyright is about to expire and he's about to enter the public domain, they lobby Congress to extend the copyright term twenty more years, and they've been doing that steadily. So it's gone from fourteen, and then it kept going up and up and up and up. And, and then it changed from a system where you had to register it to one where there's what's called no formalities, and that was when the US, in the, I think in the in the 90s, entered the Berne Convention, which is a European copyright system. And the Berne Convention basically says you can't have formalities, which means the copyright is automatic. So instead of applying for copyright – like see, one good thing about patents is you have to apply for a patent, and if you don't apply, then you don't get one. But on copyright, right. everyone who create something that's even minimally creative, the second they record it on some medium, like you write down a doodle on a piece of paper, in that moment you have a federal, federally granted and recognized copyright in that work, whether you want it or not. And it's inalienable in a sense. It's really hard to get rid of it. That's why Creative Commons has become popular because people are trying to opt out of the system. But my view is instead of it being an opt out system where the government gives you a copyright  … and, … and you can opt out of it by having a license, uh, what you should do is have an opt-in system opt where you out. have to register and apply for it. But that would violate the Berne Convention, and we'd be in violation of international law. So what one thing that the, 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 the music industry in, the, in Hollywood does is they lobby the U.S. Congress to ensnare us in these treaties. So we're bound under international law to respect a certain level of property rights… so that it would be a violation of international law to change our laws. So, for example, if we wanted to reduce the copyright term back to 14 years tomorrow, which some people call the founder's copyright because it was the copyright we had at the time of the founding generation of the country… … that would be a violation of international law because we're obligated to keep it at a certain minimum level. So they do these things to tie our hands so that we can't even have good reform of the copyright system. Um, and the other thing I was going to say is it's pretty clear to most commentators that the the, the copyright system – let's just take the copyright system and the patent system – benefits primarily American companies because most other countries, especially outside of Western Europe, um, don't benefit at all from having these stringent copyright laws. This is why uh, Trump and all these other presidents are always… Trying to use a trade agreement uh, with China or something to, to 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 leverage them to increase their intellectual property enforcement, and they keep saying things like they need to stop stealing our intellectual property. So you'll hear this all the time. Now, what most people don't understand because they're not, you know, uh, international trade law specialists, is that international trade law has literally nothing to do with 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 intellectual property because that's just a local property law. So so it, it should have nothing to do with having like low tariffs between America and China that right. we're, we're going to condition our free trade agreement with China based upon what their local copyright law is. That would be like saying uh, we, you need to change uh, your marriage law in China or something like that, something that has nothing to do with trade… So we just right. use our leverage to do this all the time and, and push these laws in these countries that are not in the benefit of almost any of their industry or their people, basically for the benefit of American uh, American uh, pharmaceutical and Hollywood and, and the music industry.
1: Well, I think it's uh, – like one thing that's important, like just to cap that off, is that like it's it would seem that in that argument, well, if you're one of these companies, right – Then you you get benefits. So like you know, if you're at the helm of a a record label right now, like who cares? I'm the one who wins in this equation. But I think that this kind of anti-competitive behavior really puts a cap on what your industry can make. Like there's consequences that affect your growth as well. It's not, you know, like it, and, and certainly like the intent of the law, at least publicly or or emotionally is to protect creatives. But it's like, that's not what happens. It ends up distributing I think from what I'm seeing, at least from the argument I'm seeing, is like the, the bigger companies get the benefit, but overall everyone loses. And, I think that's right like
0: I the, think I think the the bigger companies uh they're holding on to their dominant position that's a legacy from the old days, and they're gonna do everything they can to slow down their demise, but I think they're sinking right um newspapers and even
1: yeah, like it's like they're fighting over crumbs is kind of what it's like like it's not even that cool what you're what you're holding on to so hard, you know
0: well, and I think a good a good example of that would be this um so I'm someone who I don't have time to pirate, I don't like to pirate. It annoys my wife if I try to tell her, you know, you're going on a flight. She wants to watch a movie. I'm saying, "Well, go to this." (laughs) uh, You know, I I don't do it. It's more difficult. I'm a a patent. I'm a patent lawyer, and I know that if I get caught, you know, I can't. I can't say dumb American. (laughs) So I'm just saying, I'm a good customer. I pay tons of money. I buy stuff on iTunes. I buy, I rent movies. Everything I do is legit. But even though I pay. Ten times more than most of my libertarian or, or young friends, right? Let's say who get stuff for free all the time. Um, I'm sitting there watching something I paid for twice, maybe, and they want to make now make me watch a commercial or prevent me from fast forwarding. It's like, are you kidding me? So, so, so these guys are hurting the one small slice of society that's still supporting right. them financially because they only have one. They only have the legitimate customers they can really go after. So they go after even us. So I think they're hurting themselves in the long run, and uh, yeah, uh, hopefully technology is gonna gonna you know find a, an alternative path that's gonna that's gonna sidestep these guys.
1: So one is, do, do you know anything about the Copyright Act of 1976? Because at that time, they separated out this whole. Performance arts copyright, which is what songwriters use to copyright their songs into that and then sound recording copyrights, which are for the actual recorded work. And it seems like to me, I can't imagine any reason. I mean, like I can find very little coverage and historical knowledge online about the Copyright Act of 1976 in general. I can't find you know, lobbying or protests or any news coverage. But more importantly, it's like, well, in lieu of that, why the hell did they switch it from being just performance arts to including also sound recordings?
0: Um, I have to believe there is some, some established uh, explanation of that. I, I'm not, uh, I don't know the answer exactly. Um, okay. I, I, I focused on patents myself. Um, right. And uh, only mentally on copyright entertainment law. Um, my, my guess would have to be that uh, it was, look, these laws are extremely arcane, and almost no one outside the specialty understands it. Like not many people outside of patent law itself understand this stuff, which is part of the problem with people that run around complaining about uh, changes to the system. Or they say that they're a strong defender of IP, and then they confuse copyright or trademark with patent or trade secret. They they get them all confused, so they don't even know even the broad details. So, my guess is that there's some special industry, you know, some special interest group that 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 took advantage of the public's ignorance of this uh, to to get some change that made the benefit of them. And and now I think there's been further changes since the since Clinton, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, when they tried to. not only separate like the original sound recordings and the performance rights and these sorts of things, but to take into account digital digital versions of things so because technology right. and, and, the, and, and the and the industry keeps changing the the law does change on occasion, and I think what they'll do is they'll use they'll say, well, technology's changed, so we have to update the law so they use that as an excuse, and when they do that <laughs> they sneak in in a few benefits. other things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like let, let's extend the term by twenty years while we're doing it. Uh, like I think Canada, for example, and, and you would, you and your listeners might know more about this than me, but as part of this TPP that we were doing before Trump pulled us out of it, trade uh, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which is sort of like a modern NAFTA type thing, well, we were negotiating that under Obama, and uh, as part of the negotiations basically the u s shut Canada out and they said, if you want to be part of this, you have to extend your copyright law so Canada right. already did they, they just just to be part of the negotiations Canada extended their copyright term by twenty more years
1: for and then we pulled out only,
0: but it and then we pulled out so now there 's but they <laughs> weren 't done that domestically so you know so this this <laughs> rationing creeping effect of the of the IP the I call it intellectual property imperialism because we're using our dominance to push intellectual property American-style IP law on the rest of the world, uh, which is contrary to their interests, uh, but just for the interest of our special uh, interest here. Right.
1: Well, I – I want to close off with, um, kind of some practicality of, of abolishment and talk about that a second, but I do, I know you have like a gigantic swipe file of the most horrific, egregious examples of intellectual property going too far. Are there any examples in turn in the copyright realm or the music or entertainment industry realm you could share?
0: Yeah. And if people are interested, if they go to my site, C4, the number four, C4SIF.org, go to my, um, my supplemental resources page and I have a bunch of blog posts there one of them is an old one called the the trade the patent copyright and trademark horror files and right. I, I stopped updating it to be honest it's not up to date because it's, it's, it, there's so many examples it's hard to keep up. But there's, there's a lot of I, I have some classic ones you know I mean I mean there was there was a case where um, um, what's the novel that uh, all the all the uh, c- uh, serial murderers read kids uh, the catcher in the Rye J.D. Salinger, so I think like uh, someone wrote a sequel to *Catcher in the Rye*, and they were about to publish it, and the the estate of J.D. Salinger got wind of it. I think this is maybe in the fifties or sixties, and uh, or seventies, and um, they went to federal court and they said that you know the sequel to *Catcher in the Rye* is a derivative work under copyright law, and the judge agreed, and the judge banned publication of the book. And everyone says, "Well, right. okay, they just lost the lawsuit." But if you think about it, here we have a government judge saying you can't publish this book. That's what we call book burning or book banning or censorship. Right, right. I mean, yeah. it's, and, and there was, uh, there was like, uh, you know, there's a the famous uh, uh, black and white film, Nosferatu, which is a vampire.
1: Movie. Familiar. And, Very familiar. And it,
0: it, it was they. The producers were sued by the uh, by the estate of Maria. Uh, forgot the name, the, the author of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, Dracula.
1: Right.
0: Uh, I was going to say Mary Baker, Eddie, but not the Scientologist, whoever he, Mary Shelley, right? Mary Shelley. Right. Uh, they were sued for copyright infringement because, uh, you know, if you have a movie about vampires.
1: Right. We invented vampires. You can't touch that. <laughs> yeah.
0: So the, the judge ordered all the copies of Dracula to be destroyed.
1: Now, I of, mean, Nosferatu. Sorry, of,
0: of, uh, of Nosferatu, and uh, right. now luckily there was you know one left in, in in a vault in Czechoslovakia somewhere, and someone finally found it later, and it, it it hasn't been lost forever. But if the judge's order had been carried out properly, we would have lost it. I mean, it, this is these are crazy examples, and I and then later examples.
1: there was a movie with John Malkovich about the making of Nosferatu, and that also probably wouldn't have been allowed. Right? Under that same judge's opinion, well, the
0: studios, of course, are worried about uh, liability, so they're going to try to clear the rights before they engage in these projects. Right. And so that's the other thing is that, like the scene versus the unseen comment,
1: we have. I need your permission to compete with you. That's basically what it's saying. I need. Can you? Hey, can I? Can I compete with you? <laughs>
0: Right, and so it's it, the idea is that you, so you know that someone's just going to say no, fuck you. I mean, you're, you're, you're sorry, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not cursing, cursing is allowed.
1: No, it,
0: so, it so you know that sometimes people will not give you permission to have a clip of the JFK assassination video if it's going to be critical, you know, critical of your family. You're just going to say no. So people know right. that, so they don't even try. So that's that's self censorship is a huge, huge problem caused by by copyright and other forms of government uh, thought control, but. Self censorship is a big problem. People shouldn't have in the back of their minds, "Oh, I would love to use this, 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 this video I just found uh, of of New York from 1920, but it's got a, you know, or 1970 where it's got it's got the Chrysler Building." I don't, I don't know if there's a copyright in artistic or architectural designs, and maybe I have to get permission from someone. It's just not worth the hassle. They're going to say no, so you just don't do it.
1: It increases the risk of entrepreneurial endeavors like it's and not not on companies because they could easily do it but on individuals on on the person they're supposed to protect yeah
0: (laughs) well and yeah the the companies have departments of people that are they go out and they try to get permission so and they they have a a budget to do it so again a lot of these laws counterintuitively harm the small person and the independent company you know uh, but it doesn 't really phase the large companies because they they have a system to work around, and they can make a deal with the other company, so a lot of these things people keep defending copyright and patent for protecting the little guy. they have no idea how the system really works it 's really sad, so that means the right. propaganda has worked the propaganda has worked. Um,
1: yeah, and it's it's age old, right? Because it was—I mean, it started back then with the censorship. Like the, the monarchy grants the monopoly to the stationers company. I, this was in Carl's article, but uh, they they grant the monopoly to the stations, stationers company. They then get a taste of monopoly, and then when they when they they lose their monopoly, they lobby to have these publishers' rights, and they they invent basically what was a statute of Anne? Like that was the first kind of iteration of it, and it was all yeah, based on band. like what they wanted. Yeah, so they won. They won their. You said the intellectual property rebrand rebrand campaign worked, and the rebrand campaign was run not by artists but by publishers.
0: I think that's basically right. I, I'd say it worked, but I think people still know there's a difference. Um, people sense, and maybe nowadays are sensing more and more that it's not really, you know, like like if you have some someone who pirates a movie because they couldn't get it otherwise, people call them a thief. And they say, "Oh, you're just trying to get something for right. free." It's like, "Well, I, I'm not really like the guy that held up the liquor store." I mean, you see these commercials, these public service commercials. They'll say, "You wouldn't, you wouldn't steal your friend's car." Well, then why would you pirate right. a movie? It's like, "Well, yeah. because when I make a copy of it, I'm not hurting anyone." There's,
1: there's actually a difference, right? You know, right. Well, that's the thing is that like our laws are there, right? Like, and this is a like goes back to a libertarian idea that I've been like learning a lot about is that like it's probably bad if it involves forcing people to do things they don't want to do. Right. So like the, the reason you might say, well, stealing someone's car is bad is because it forces them to give up their car. Right. So yeah, maybe you want the freedom to steal their car, but not if it impinges on their freedom. But in this instance, it doesn't really impinge on their freedom, except the freedom to maybe exploit the advantage of like not having to give you a copy. Right. Like, but it's not really a freedom of yours. That it's and, and there's,
0: there's like there's like an old uh, I forgot who the quote came from I have it in one of my articles. Someone said that you know even thieves even thieves have a a, a law among thieves and like so even right. even a thief who steals someone's car he doesn't want his car stolen because when his car's taken it means he doesn't have it anymore. So there's like a code among thieves, right? Um, so even thieves, if you push them, they will admit that stealing is not a good idea because they don't want their stuff stolen. But if you ask right. an artist, it's like, well, you copied, you you were influenced by Bach. How dare you? Uh, what if right. someone's influenced by you? You might say, well, I'm. That'd be I'd be I'd be honored if someone was influenced by me and they copied my. I mean, it, it's not right. necessarily taking anything from you, because uh, it's
1: not a scarce resource, right? Like it's not like you you like, if I if I'm not gonna buy something from you, but I want to have it, right? And it costs you nothing to reproduce. It's not like you you lost money. I wasn't going to buy it from you, but but you're well, forcing me to not share in the in the uh, the pantheon of ideas of creativity, which is not yours to begin with.
0: Well, this is why earlier I mentioned that uh, the, the the root principle behind all these copyright suits, like, is did you copy this too closely? And the the assumption is that there's something wrong with copying, but copying. In a sense, it's just learning and or competing. Right. And if, if you're in favor of the free market, you're supposed to be in favor of competition. And if you're in favor of human society and civilization and progress, you're supposed to be in favor of learning people learning things. And if we right. could imagine a world where you could walk up to, you know, my neighbor just got a brand new Cadillac, and I don't have one. But if I had the ability to just like look at it, like 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 you know, like a like a witch. and wrinkle my nose and have a copy, now I've got a Cadillac. So I made a copy of my friend's Cadillac, and if he still has his car, he wouldn't object to my, quote, copying the car like he would if I stole his car. Because when I steal his car, he doesn't have his car anymore, but if I made a copy of it, he wouldn't care. And this is why I believe that we have two sort of revolutions going on that are technological that are going to undermine this statist… IP idea. Number one, the internet and digital technology, uh, torrenting, encryption, all this stuff, has, has really undermined copyright because it's really impossible right. to stop people from copying information, which is what copyright tries to do. So they've lost the battle. They can still persecute a few high profile victims, they can find some people, but, um, but uh, copying is here to stay. And the internet is the world's you know, biggest copying machine. And it's it's never going to get harder to copy things than it is today, in my view. So so copyright has been steadily undermined by the advent of technology. And my hope is that in the physical realm, in the patent realm, in the invention realm, that something like that might start to happen with things like 3D printing, right? So right. you know if 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 I could just if I could someday print an iPhone in my basement with a $300 machine. that sounds fetched right now, but 50 years from now, who knows, you know, um, that will be a way to get around patent law too. So I, I do believe that, that, that technology is going to allow patent law to be undermined and everyone's worried about this. I think it's a good thing. I mean, these laws need to go. I think it's great
1: people. I think we're headed into an age of infinite abundance where though a lot of economics are going to change for people, um, And I'm I'm interested to see where it goes. But I have the final two questions on abolishment. But before I get to that, I do want to make clear to everyone because this is like your forte is patent, and something I learned from you. And you can correct me where I'm like I'm probably going to mangle this. But essentially, Samsung and Apple sue each other. So first of all, Samsung and Apple go out and buy up other people's patents. They sue the little guy to get his patent into their patent library, and then they sue each other. But they don't actually win over each other. They end up making an agreement where they can use each other's patents, effectively creating a monopoly on all the little guys' patents that they stole individually. Correct?
0: I think that's essentially correct, except for the part about they they buy up little guys' patents. Um, uh, these kind of that's more what patent trolls do. Okay. Which okay. is a different phenomenon. But I think these you know, these guys have their own engineers and they they have their own patent lawyers and they're filing their own. They build up their own war chest of patents.
1: Well, rather what I mean is they might register something that is kind of broad, maybe a little bit overreaching or maybe already kind of been invented. And if like you want to come after them, like good luck kind of thing, not necessarily directly well, stealing or suing out of
0: it, it, Well, this gets into the weeds a little bit, but what they do is they they, they just file a patent on everything they possibly can that their engineers come up with. Some of them are obvious. Some of them shouldn't be patented. Some of them are vague. Some of them are narrow. Some of them are broad. And they just build up a war chest of patents that cover the whole space, and everyone is so complex that it would would require thousands of dollars just to hire a lawyer to analyze them. And that even that an analysis wouldn't be... So so basically, they build up this war chest of patents that is like a big fuzzy wall that no one has enough money to even understand. Right. So people just... And then they pay, share
1: it with each other, taking the last bit of and, competitiveness and, 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 yeah. out of it.
0: And, and then th- that part is right. So they'll, they'll sue each other, but the problem is each one likely has hundreds of patents that cover at least arguably, each other's products. And so they could they could sue each other for billions or for each one, and then it's going to be complicated. So they they they, they, they rattle their sabers at each other, and then they they pay the lawyers you know, $300 million in fees. And then they back down. They they, they do a cross-license right, or a settlement agreement where they'll say, okay, you have a right to do this and this. And they'll say, well, you would have owed me 50 cents per, per piece royalty on this, but you, I owe you 75 on this. And so we'll balance it out, and in the end, you know, Apple pays them 20 cents per piece. And of course you pass the price down to the customer.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And with that agreement in place, like if you're just looking at the, the patent ownership and accessibility between the two companies, it starts to look like one company, right?
0: Well, that's why I say. So it's like a cartel or an oligopoly situation where you have these companies that are the ones that get past the patent wall and the others that are left out on the outside. So yeah, that that is what happens. Before we close, let me mention one thing. Um, we've been talking more about how to understand the IP law and its effects on society, and having an IP policy perspective, like like what you're personally in favor of. Like, do you think there should be more copyright or less? It's a good yeah. thing, or that's just your your kind of opinion as a citizen. Um, and it, in my ideal world, we wouldn't have either, and then we would have a different world. And maybe si- that's the role of science fiction to figure out what that would look like. But I did write I, I, I did write a little book about a forty page book. It's called um, I think it's called Do Business Without IP, and it's uh, oh wow it, it's, it's 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 like a summary streamlined guide to like if in certain industries, if you want to try to work outside the system, or or you don't want to copyright everything you do, or you don't want to have a trademark, or you don't want to do this, or you don't want to patent, what steps could you take to maybe step outside the system? Some people are doing this like, with normal economic and technological incentives without, without doing it for uh, any ideological reason.
1: The electronic music community and the remix community has taken up that charge heavily. They're all about creative commons and...
0: Yeah, and they're not doing that because they're libertarians. So, so, like in software, you have this whole free software movement, right? Where people, uh, you know, g- grant licenses on everything they do to contribute to a project because that's part of the ethos now. They're not really doing it for ideological reasons exactly. I'm just saying I've got a guide. If people are interested, they can go on that site, C4SIF, and just it's called Do Business Without Intellectual Property. and And then you'll see what you could do if you wanted to without relying so much on the status, uh copyright and patent system. What uh and that's c4sif.org. c 4 siforg Yeah, go to the resources page and I have a it's like a little free online pamphlet called do business without ip. Do business without intellectual property.
1: Yeah, this argument, this whole conversation over the last few months has been blowing my mind. And I highly recommend that everyone check out that resources page because I've learned so much. And if nothing else, it's intensely interesting. I didn't even know this debate existed. I, I had all these presumptions that have been just blown apart by really smart people uh, on both sides of this debate. So definitely check that out. Now, as a, as a let,
0: let, let, let me mention oh, one other thing. The creators and people that are in your audience, the one thing I tell them to 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 just think about um, is is try to imagine whether you should be thinking of copying as a bad thing, and that that's signified by whether you ever use the word steal. Like, let's say he stole my thing. Um, I mean, your whole orientation can shift. Like, you can stop viewing people copying you. As a bad thing. It's, it's a tribute, or it's going to be publicity, or maybe it's just free competition. But copying is not stealing, and we need to have get over even our emotional hang up about that. Um, there's a wonderful artist named Nina Paley who people should look into. She's, she, she, wrote, she, she produced uh, and created Sita Sings the Blues, this kind of a, a award winning little animated film. And you know, she had all these problems procuring rights to these old jazz songs from like the 1920s to put in the, in the soundtrack. And she became an, she's a lefty kind of lady. She's not a libertarian, but she became an ardent copyright opponent because of this. So she spread all these memes. like she does these little videos like co- explaining why copying isn't theft. And she, she started this little meme like, you know, co- feel free to copy this. Copying is an act of love. So I'm just saying that we need to maybe consider thinking of copying as something that's totally permissible. Never think of it as stealing or calling it stealing because uh, you're not stealing something from someone when you copy them or emulate them or learn from them or even compete with them. Right.
1: Or it, like, I mean, and just like look at the consequences of if you choose to define it as stealing. Think about how many things that you do on a daily basis would then fall under the classification of stealing. Think about what a criminal that classification would make you in your everyday life.
0: (laughs) Well, well, even this modern lefty idea of cultural appropriation, it's like a type of extension of the IP idea, right? It's like you can't copy someone else's cuisine or culture or dress style. That's the type of IP mentality, right? Um, Even though they don't call it that.
1: It's almost pro-segregationist, to be honest with you, to make the claim that you can't mingle with the different cultures is like, crazy.
0: <laughs> well, it used to be it used to be considered a sign of uh, broad-mindedness, right, and toleration If you, hey, let's have Taiwanese, food, uh, let's have Thai food tonight, or or, or, or let's right. celebrate the Mexican, uh, the Mexican dress style, or whatever. Now, now it's an insult because of the right. yeah. mentality that that certain people or cultures own certain patterns or ways of doing things. That's the IP mentality, which again, was why I think John Locke messed us up, but I don't blame the guy. Right. He, he couldn't have known what was coming.
1: Right. Yeah. Impossible to imagine. What? So as a final uh, question, I guess set of questions. Number one is what would it take to abolish copyright law today and Um, considering that we're entrenched in a very different system than if we had no copyright law, is there an intermediary plan, much like Friedman's negative income tax, to kind of get us there?
0: Well, so uh, yeah, a couple things. Uh, To abolish it would require, I mean, overcoming this public choice problem where there's entrenched interest uh, and everyone to understand this arcane area of law. So I think that's really difficult uh, to abolish it. So I, right. that's why my hope is in technology. I think that just you can't enforce this at a certain point. Um, right. I mean, the the drug war was a little bit like this, right? I mean, uh, or at least let's say marijuana. I mean, marijuana is surprisingly becoming quasi legalized all across the U.S. Partly because it's just draconian to enforce it. And
1: uh, it's unimportant. You can't possibly lock people up about it forever. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: So, so I would say, I would say, um, um, it, it's going to be hard to abolish it, uh, by law. Um, right. it would take a radical shift in under, I mean, everyone would have to be libertarian basically, which I'm not, I'm not right, right. On everyone. <laughs> having a totally propertarian uh, perspective on, on, on things. Um, uh, so, and what was your second part of the question? Sorry.
1: Sort of like, is there an intermediary plan or something that is oh, yeah. f- more feasible than tomorrow's abolishment?
0: Yeah. Well, so even if the U S Congress tomorrow decided to, uh, to radically, to radically downgrade or, or, or exit or, or abolish copyright or patent, like I said, we'd be in violation of some international treaties. So we, we right. sort of, we sort of accidentally shackled ourselves or handcuffed ourselves. Uh, I wonder how that happened, right? Um, but I do have—I have an article about. Uh, uh, it's on my c4sif.org website. It's, it's something like how to reduce the cost of IP law, something like that. And you have to look at. You have to understand what these systems do and how they harm us. And so you say, well, so the. For copyright, we should get rid of the – well, we should fight efforts to overcome the – this is giving in the weeds. There's something called the DMCA, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, and everyone thinks it's horrible, and it is horrible But because it allows people to have things taken down on YouTube. But what it did was it had what's called a safe harbor, and the safe harbor was if you're a publisher you're not going to be liable for copyright infringement of your users if they publish it on like as a comment on your website or whatever if you take it down as soon as you're notified so right. that has led to this takedown system but it also allowed youtube and facebook to and flourish because they didn't fl- they weren't liable flourish. Yeah, inadvertently, I would say, I don't think Clinton knew and I don't think these guys knew what they were doing. This is 1998, the advent of the Internet. Um, There's been efforts to overcome, to to overturn these safe harbors in the in the in the CDA and also the DMCA, the Communications Decency Act, which has to do more with, uh, I think, like child. Well,
1: they might be in. They might be in danger of screwing themselves over on the safe harbor thing because now they're actively taking down stuff based on their opinion, which kind of changes the whole dynamic, right? Because, like, you're not liable, but if you choose to adopt responsibility and start taking people down like Alex Jones, then, like, well, you are liable. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So I hate to be pessimistic, but you asked about what's intermediate steps. I'm just trying to keep the damage from getting worse because – I see a continuing effort to ratchet these protections up. So, like the U.S. wants to expand the protection, Um, they want to impose it on other countries. Um, There's these treaties and these agreements. Like, I don't know if you remember SOPA, Stop Online Piracy Act, was defeated about four or five years ago, but they're going to keep trying. So, I would say the first thing we can do for an intermediate step is to stop the stop the damage from getting worse. And so, so that means don't approve. The TPP, if it has IP protections in it, don't uh, don't have anything like SOPA rear its head again. Things like that. Um, don't let the industry uh, reduce the DMCA carve-out. So I'm just trying to, right. to to stop the bleeding, like to keep it from getting worse. But if you really have Perhaps. a chance to make it better, um, the obvious thing would be for copyright. Number one, get rid of criminal penalties. Number two. So make it civil only. Number two, require actual damages instead of what they call statutory damages, which are just assumed damages, which can be like I don't know, twenty-five, seventy-five thousand dollars per incident. And right. if you look at what people do on the internet now, most most American citizens probably are liable for four point five billion dollars of damages every year.
1: Didn't you say so? You said something like. Uh you probably rack up like $10 million worth of copyright damages before you get to work in the morning.
0: <laughs> but it's, it, so but it, yeah, and everyone thinks it, it, it's, it's actually not a joke because what, what, what that allows is discretionary enforcement, right? So these companies can say, "Oh, I'm going to go after you and drive right. you.
1: That's that's the that's the thing is that's it it's um and that this people don't realize this is that like government mandated monopolies in the form of copyright and other things like licensure like they're they become discriminatory vehicles don't they like you, you can pick and choose who you enforce on and thereby you know let's like, say you're a racist or you're a sexist or whatever you are that's is you can use that through that medium Well
0: yeah look what's happening right now with Alex Jones and all these guys you know they're being denied their platform I think again, this is something that's going to backfire on these guys. I mean, if Twitter and Facebook
1: and YouTube, if, if, if they start becoming, they're going to create a game B, they're going to create game B for YouTube if they keep doing it. I I think so. So I,
0: so, and I I hope, I hope that they do. Uh, in fact, I'm on the board of a group called library LBRY, which is sort of an open source way of having an uncensored way of distributing content. But, uh, and these things are gonna start emerging. But um but yeah, no, that's that's my thoughts on it. I, I, I just think people people should realize that IP law is not their friend and they should be open to the idea of copying uh as, as not a horrible thing. That'd be my, I know, my final thoughts on this one.
1: Yeah, man. Thank you so much for taking the time with us. I think this is such an important conversation to have. And even if you're out there and you're not completely sold on, you know, being a copyright abolitionist, I I hope we've given you some food for thought to really think about where you stand on this issue, because I don't think that musicians do a whole lot of thinking on this issue. We just kind of take it as we've inherited it. So thank you so much for shedding so much light on this, Stefan. We really appreciate it.
0: Glad to do it. Enjoyed it.
1: Absolutely. Well, so you can find Stefan at that c 4 sif Org, correct? Correct. And then I'm gonna post all the stuff that uh Stefan sent me and and that I've really been enjoying learning about in the show notes. If you go to entrepreneur.io slash episode66, you can find not only Stefan's website, but all of those uh, tidbits as well. Thank you again for joining us, Stefan, and we'll see you next week on Creative Juice Indies. Go me. Say what?